You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Are you happy to be back here again? I hope that was picked up. Anyway, yeah. that was me opening a beer because after watching that game today, BFD need beer. Yeah, yes, and it's great to be back. Oh my gosh. I mean, I realize I'm not as sexy as Carlos is and, and some of the others you've had on, but I'm sexy in my own special way. Yeah, you're not Ike Taylor sexy. No, there's no way. Well, Ike, Ike and I are best friends now. And Joe's been good, too. I had fun talking to Joe the past two weeks, and Carlos is fun. And I didn't, I didn't reach out to him for this episode because it's there's a lot of things to talk about with three people. Um, it would elongate a lot more than it already needs to be. But so the Houston Texans, they lost again today. They lost 21 and 28 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are 0 and 3 to start the 2020 NFL season. Um, what? You know, and so I know, like going into this year, like we both, I think we both picked Houston to be like nine and seven and be the number seven seed. Um, I'm not surprised by them being 0 and 3 at all. And so I asked the the guys this question like last week, or I asked Joe this question last week, and I'll ask it to you this week. Are you surprised the Houston Texans are 0 and 3 right now? No, not even a little bit. You know, we. I've been saying this for the last, you know, solid four years of the um, Bill O'Brien reign of error is that he we, he can't beat good teams. I mean, yes, we beat Kansas City last year, but we mm-hmm. don't beat teams we shouldn't beat. And we shouldn't have beaten Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. So is it shocking that we lost all three of them? No, it's not shocking. It's my, they're just meeting expectations. We punch down. We don't punch up. And the first three <laughs> weeks of the season are a perfect example of that. Yeah, I'm just laughing because I saw that quote from O'Brien today. It was like, well, we haven't played the AFC South yet. I was like, yeah, we know. <laughs> right. We know we know where your bread and butter is, dude. And like the AFC South is like, you know, it's better this year than it's been in um, previous years as well, too. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised either. I was surprised by like how bad they play weeks one and two. Like I didn't expect them to beat Kansas City or Baltimore, but like, to just completely just be a skid mark, you know, was uh was like unexpected in some sense. But I'm not surprised by 0-3. Like these are three of the four best teams in the AFC. Houston has trouble playing against these top teams. And like again, Houston was a lucky team last year. They're very fortunate to be a 10 and 6 team. And they got worse this offseason. And who got better this offseason? The Steelers did, the Ravens did, the Chiefs did, the Bills did, the Titans did, and Houston didn't. So like now you're adding that that you're, you're taking an already fortunate roster and then you make it worse. And now you have all these other external factors going on with it. And, uh, he, and like Deshaun Watson has been able to make up for it so far um, to start the year. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I was it was like kind of weird, like how bad they were the first two weeks. And like I expect them to kind of be more like how they played today in those two, in those first two weeks. Like even though they lost today, at least it was fun, I guess, you know, at least they weren't like a, it was incompletely awful, you know. 
Right. So, yeah, speaking to that, so you're you're saying that teams with a competent GM, like, improve during the offseason? Is that what you're kind of hinting at there? Big yeah, like, or like teams with a general manager instead of just like a, a snake oil, uh, you know, Bible, Bible thumping preacher uh, sells out there. You know, I would like to see there's a scene in the Blood Meridian where like the preacher's up there in like the revival tent and the judge is there and he accuses him of being a pedophile. And then everybody like, you know, goes crazy and they destroy the tent and attack the preacher. And then they're in the bar afterwards. It's like, how did you know the, 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 pastor? Like, how'd you know about that? But I was like, never seen him my entire life. And they all start laughing, you know, I, they should recreate that scene. But like John McCain, your John McClain can be the judge. And then Jackie can be the preacher in the, in the tent because that's their general manager right now. It's pretty much that exact same sort of setup. And so it'd be a fun way to kind of get back after not having, a GM and everything else that happened, you know? Wow. Vague references for the win. Well done. Yeah. There may like be three people. If one person got it, that's all that matters. You know? <laughs> I was laughing though. When I was reading that book earlier this summer, imagining that. Nice. Um, but so like the Texans, this game, like they were up 21, 17 entering the first half. 21 points is a lot of points for this team. Uh, why are they able to have some offensive success in that first half? You just do you want me to have a heart attack during the show? Is that like kind of your point? Is is for me to like get real real upset and just like croak and die on the show? I'm just curious. <laughs> no, it's more like I, I just like close doors and open up certain windows and try to force you like a, a little piggy in a certain spots, you know. Oh, thanks. Oink oink. Yeah. Um it's because they were letting Deshaun Watson do things. You know, they were went when when they were letting Watson get into rhythm, and this really you know, stuck out to me. He he missed that pass with uh, ugh, I can't remember who who uh, Vince Williams was covering. It was it Cooks or Cobb. It was Cooks. It was Cooks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and he uh he missed that throw, but when Watson in the first half of that game was just his 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 ball accuracy was amazing. I mean, he was throwing guys. Not only was he throwing them open, he was throwing them out of trouble. He was hitting guys in stride. He was absolutely amazing. It was wonderful to watch the first half with Deshaun Watson. They were just letting him get back and rip. When he gets the ball out of his hands, he's much better. Uh, the, the the attitude that he can't ever leave the pocket, like moving the pocket around to keep him safe, just still kills me. You know, Bill O'Brien still thinks he has Tom Brady under center. Mm-hmm. And it's but it was when they let Deshaun Watson do things. It was much better. I mean, if you look at the second half, Deshaun Watson had nine attempted passes in the second half. <laughs> and it's like, how do you expect to be successful when you're literally taking the ball out of your best player's hand? And it's 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 infuriating to me that that Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly, and they're really the same person. They're joined mm-hmm. at the brain. And, and, and the worst part is there's only like a quarter of the brain between them. Mm-hmm. And they're joined mm-hmm. at the brain, and yeah, they're, they're sharing the one same... brain. They don't get two brains. Yeah, it's not even a full brain. It's you know, <laughs> it's it, it. It was just it was infuriating to watch them give David Johnson the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing about that first half was they pass protected well, and, and like that's the thing about the Steelers' defense. Like it's all built around their front, and so if you can pass protect long enough, you can get open on those deeper crossing routes like that, that throw he had to cooks in the first half is a really good example of that. Um, like you can throw on Pittsburgh in their cover three defense. They don't have a lockdown corner at all. 
Um, routes kind of get open if you have the the time to allow them to develop. If you can pass block for you know three to four seconds, and you know Houston was able to ride the bull pretty well in that first half. And I, I really think that was kind of the biggest difference between you know or, or not, not the biggest difference between the two halves, but why they had you know success in the first half that they haven't had yet this year in offense. I think it's mainly just they pass protected well. Like this is like really elementary basic stuff for an offensive lineman to not turn into the line of scrimmage and stay square. So you can, you're ready for the looper like that, that sort of thing. They haven't been doing the first two weeks. They did a fairly good job of this week and they won their individual matchups too. In that first half, like Tyus Howard had a really great game against TJ Watt the entire first half and tons of lockdown Bud Dupree. And they're able to get enough bodies like on the interior to, to hold up Hayward and two. And they picked up their blitz as well. And, um, but I really think that's why they were able to score 21 points in that first half and have so much success through the air. It's just they pass protected well enough to allow Watson to be able to, you know, beat Deshaun Watson, do Deshaun Watson things. Yeah, but he was also a wizard. I mean, he got out of a couple of situations where the pocket collapsed and he got out of it. There was a couple of passes that it was just simple slants that he was yeah. hitting down the field, like dead on target. You can do things to protect your quarterback, like get the ball out of his hands faster. I think one other thing is that T.J. Watt missed snaps in the first half because he was hurt. And he, I think mm-hmm. he was playing hurt the entire game. But he did miss snaps in the first half. So we took we were able to take advantage of that. Watson was able to take advantage of that in the first half. And it seems like we could have done things different in the second half. But I, I just want to be the first to congratulate Darren Fells on being the first offensive player in the history of the NFL to get an assist on a sack. Because the way that he helped launch uh, T.J. Watt into Watson was amazing. I mean, it was like, oh, you need to go into turbo here. Let me help you do that. Uh Yeah. And like and like how I don't think Howard was even like expecting him to chip there because Howard like kicked out wide like he had been and it shoved him inside of him. And that led to that sack. But like, I mean, I don't know if T.J. was hurt or not, but uh, but uh, Ty said a really good job. Me on the point attack. And like he's so wide that even whenever he doesn't block very well, it's still hard to get pressure against him because of how hard it is to get around him. And a lot of the pressures that you see against him are like, he gets beat off the snap or, you know, he's not prepared for an inside move at all. And uh, he did a really good job there. But yeah, like, I mean, I'm like, I'm not saying like the pass protection was spectacular the first half. I think it was, it was good, but like even good was not part of the offensive, like the offense didn't even have good in those first two weeks against Kansas city and Baltimore. And it was good in that first half. And then the second half, you know, the difference was they lost a few individual matchups, you know? Um, so that in the first half, they had a driver, they went five plays, 75 yards, 50 seconds to take the lead. Most of those plays were out of the shotgun with four wide receivers. Um, the offense spread out. And that was like the pass protection, that entire drive there was really great too. And they got way like their offense that they thought in, in worked on this summer was that drag flat RPO nonsense. But that was what they spent all summer working on. And they, and like you see Randall Cobb motion on those runs and defenses ends are just sitting back. They're like, yeah, hand it to David Johnson. Give give him three yards. We don't care at all. And that was how they, that was their idea of how to develop a good offense all summer. And so like that, that drive there right before the half, like that was the offense you kind of imagine, you know, with the receivers and the players they have. Um, Do you think that drive before the half is like, something Houston can build off of going into next week and the week after as they try to climb out of this, you know, climb out of the 0-3 crypt that they're currently in. Yeah, and a couple of things about I think Pittsburgh was playing a little soft toward the end of the half. So that mm-hmm. was Yeah, they weren't blitzing part, as much. Yeah, but part of that, not blitzing so much, is because they were spreading the offense out, right? Mm-hmm. You can't blitz. You can't run zero coverage mm-hmm. with our wide receivers. You just can't do that. Yeah, and so point. You had uh, you had them spreading out and, and making them 
cover guys. And if you're Bill O'Brien, yeah, I've been saying this for five years now. Haven't you learned? Like, we were successful and doing that and spreading out the, the team. And, and I hate I hate zero backs, okay? I'm going to say that. I, I've always hated that. You take away the threat of the run. It's stupid. But you spread the team out and you let them get open. You force the Steelers to cover instead of blitz and you good things happen, especially when our offensive line has been trash. And, you know, we talked about the first half they were, they played great, but Nick Martin had a bad game. Zach Fulton had a bad game. I mean, yeah. And I'm just about pass protection. I'm not talking about run blocking at all. Run, but yeah. I'm saying that not one bit about run blocking. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, the run blocking. Yeah. We'll talk about that soon, but I think that to me was, it was a big difference in that, in that drive. And Darren Fells can't block. And so mm-hmm. whenever he's in the game, you just you can't expect him to win any one-on-one matchups. Anyway, I'm kind of babbling at this yeah. point, so I'll well, throw it back fe- to you. And, and Fells, too, like he can't block, but also he can't stretch the seam. Like that pass he lost against Devin Bush, like that's where Jordan Aiken should be. Like that's what Kali Warren should be doing. Um, that's what, you know, if he kept Jordan Thomas on the roster, like have any sort of tight end. But because he caught six touchdowns last year, uh, he's still on the roster and he's still their number one tight end. But uh, but yeah, I mean like that's I mean that's the way the offense should work though. It should be a lot of you know ten personnel. You should have four wide receivers and one running back, and you should be spread out, and you should be throwing the ball as often as possible. And then yeah, you'll run some draws, you'll check to some run plays, you know, based off the looks that you get. But uh, like that's the way it needs to look. And we've only seen one drive similar to that, and that was that first drive against Kansas City where they were spread, quick passing, and we're like is this New England? Like, what What the hell is this? And then Johnson had that really good run where he broke out because, again, the defense is spread out. It's a lot easier to run the ball in those situations. And uh, and then the second half, like, nah, they just went back to what they're currently doing. And what's funny about that, too, it's like, I, I remember during the Ravens game last weekend, you know, they do the halftime report and they spoke to Bill O'Brien and his quote, you know, being down, I'm a you know butcher it somewhat, but he said, you know, well, we really got to get the run game going the second half against Baltimore. It's like, no, you don't. You're down. You don't need to get the run game going. You can't run the ball against Baltimore. You can't block Clayus Campbell. You can't even block Derek Wolf. You can't block Brandon Williams. You can't block Sean Ellis. Like, no, we're not doing this at all. And he still just fails to understand that. And, you know, and it really did kind of feel like, too, like being up 21-17 at the half. And Houston's now lost five games after leading the half. They're like 34-5 and five now in the O'Brien era. Um, but I kind of felt like they were trying to kill the clock in some ways, you know, all right, we have a lead. Let's just, let's keep the game close and we'll win it at the end. And it seemed like they're playing kind of that 2018 sort of Texans football, you know, he does it on purpose. That's the thing that's most infuriating. It's like Bill O'Brien purposefully plays for one score games. Mm-hmm. And today was like another example of that. Instead of coming out and just ramming the ball, you know, pushing the ball down the field against the Steelers, we're up, um, we didn't. We were just started handing off to David Johnson again and kept getting behind the sticks. And then we'd we do something stupid and try to throw a screen pass. And none of it ever works. I mean, we are averaging what's that, 36, 59. So we're averaging 19.7 points a game to start the season. That's Bill mm-hmm. O'Brien football. That is like we're gonna be as absolutely mediocre as we can offensively and hope our defense does something, but our defense can't do anything it's anymore. Not, Which, it's not the same defense anymore. It's not, yeah. It's not 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's true too. And like, I mean, even Denver is able to throw the ball against Pittsburgh, you know, like they have a great pass defense, but it's because they create so many negative plays with their pass defense and they create so many negative plays in the run game. They force teams along third down holes, but 
again, if you can pass block long enough, you can throw the ball against Pittsburgh. And it really did feel like Houston got kind of scared in that second half, uh, being up a little bit, wanting to play for you know the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, we'll talk about that second half here in a second. But first, I want to talk about you know, Deshaun, because you mentioned his first half performance. Um, one of the things that's been this game and also just throughout the year is this like super vertical kill them all offense. You know, on throws over 20 yards, Watson was 0 for 2 for 0 yards interception today. This season, he's 4 for 9 for 83 yards. He has a touchdown interception ratio of 0 to 2 um, on throws over 20 yards. And in this game, I think over on throws over 15, he was like, you know, 4 for four for 11 or something along those lines as well. Um, so like the vertical passing game, like again, you can throw the ball downfield against Pittsburgh. This isn't like, um, this isn't, you know, like 2012 Denver or something like that. You know, the Giants had a little bit of success doing it. The Broncos, with Jeff Driscoll, had success doing doing it. Um, like, what's the reason why Houston hasn't thrown the ball downfield well at all? Is it because of their receivers? Is it the play calling? Is it the opponent? Um, why have they struggled so much in this facet of the game? This I don't know. I think part of it has been is uh, Watson's running scared. I mean, I think we're, he's already got 33 quarterback hits yeah. in the first three games of the season. So mm-hmm. he's playing scared to a large degree. Sharping's been horrible to start the season fulton's been bad martin's been bad howard has has had moments tunsil's had moments he's playing scared and i think the other thing about it is 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 bill o'brien does not create space for watson and i'm going to keep hitting on this because i'm going to start seeing and i'm already seeing it is that people are blaming deshaun watson for holding on to the ball too long but when your pocket is collapsing on the right side you don't within two seconds, you don't have time Mm -hmm. to scan to make the multidimensional reads that Bill O'Brien wants to run under his Elmer Perkins glue uh, scheme. Uh, We're asking Watson to do things that no quarterback can really do aside from Tom Brady, because Tom Brady is, he's just different. He's different. He can make those decisions faster. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean Deshaun Watson can't. But we're also not protecting Sean, uh, Deshaun Watson well. So, um, got to protect Watson. You got to make sure he's not playing scared. Move him out of the pocket to make throws instead of him having to ad lib and be a wizard to make throws. Mm-hmm. And we would be much more successful throwing down the field. The other thing is, is look as fast as our wide receiver core is. There has been so much focus on getting the ball to the wide receiver, I mean, to the uh, running backs and tight ends rather than the wide receivers. That seems to be like almost the first read is a running back or a tight end. Mm-hmm. David Johnson splits out. David Johnson's number one wide receiver at that point. So these are kind of the things I'm seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know that, like, it's, I don't have a good answer for it because it does, like, that Ravens game. You know, Watson, I think he probably missed two throws, I would say. And like the way they the offense set that EP system, if you don't know, it's like, all right, so this is hamburger hot dog. So the left side of the field is running hamburger. The right side of the field is running hot dog. Watson comes up to the line of scrimmage and he reads the defense. And based off that, he understands, that, okay, I have this route combination on the left, this route combination on the right. And he knows that I, I, he comes up to the field, he makes his half field read based off that and then goes from there. So whenever you see Watson like looking this direction, the Ravens, for example, peeled off guys and got ready for you know things coming back the other way because of it. And that's why like, you know, Kenny Stills broke up downfield and that sort of thing, that Ravens game. But um he's not like he he's not he doesn't read the whole field in that aspect of it. And two, it's like, yeah, when he has the ball for two and a half seconds, he's ready for pressure and he's gonna get the ball off quickly. So whenever you see somebody open downfield, it's not that he misses him, it's that he has, doesn't have the pass protection to be able to 
you know, sit there for four and a half seconds to feel comfortable at all. And again, everything is based off half half field stuff in this offense too. Um, and so like, I think the first game is just kind of like Cooks wasn't very good because he was hurt. And he, I don't think he's been very good these first two weeks either, just as far as winning vertical routes. Because he has to, he can only win this with speed. He has to have four yards of cushion to make those catches because he's so small, you know. And I think Fuller, um, you know, he's so off and on too. And so I do think like what the idea of this offense was hasn't existed yet because they haven't won those matchups downfield very well yet. And part of it's the past defenses they've gone up against. But like, if this is still a problem against Minnesota next week, then it's like, you know, full-blown meltdown because they can't stay on top of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And if, you know, Brandon Cooks is able to win those matchups against C.J. Dantzler, um, then there's a, a real, you know, like systematic problem with this offense then. Yeah, and where's the safety cushion? The, the, mm-hmm. the, ultimately, one big problem is that, you know, that was DeAndre Hopkins. And now it's Darren Fells and, and Atkins. You know, that's not a great trade-off. Cobb had a good game today, that, that um, touchdown throw that did what, uh, that Watson made. Man, that was a beautiful pass. He really mm-hmm. led him well, got him into a good space to make the catch and into the end zone. But Hopkins, they've been doing that for the last, you know, four years. And Hopkins is gone now. And so I can't can't stress enough that that losing your kind of pacifier of a wide receiver is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think they is not learning how to play offense with these new receivers, these two new receivers. The problem is learning how to play offense without DeAndre Hopkins because that's like you mentioned, it's a pacifier, it's a safety blanket where you know that, okay, it's third and seven. He's going to be open in a half second and uh, we're moving the chains and the offense is continuing. And I do think too, like the offense has struggled because they don't have that consistent you know, source of offense to create easy yards. And everything this offense does right now is just very difficult and complicated and they don't have an easy outlet to move the football. And it always has been. I mean, the one thing that Bill O'Brien refuses to do is to create an offense that's, that's efficient and effective. Mm-hmm. That everything has to be eleventy dimensional, and it's just not. You know, you can't do that in this day and age. The 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 defenses are too fast. The I, I was thinking about today, just even watching the um, the uh, uh, Cardinals uh, Panthers Lion, game, uh, Lions, Lions game. game, yeah, about how much faster players are today, how much more in shape they are today, how much smarter they are about the football today. I mean, about strategies and scheme and and trying to punch the ball out. I mean, this is not stuff you saw in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And these players are just so much better. Um, Bill O'Brien still thinks it's 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a good example of that, too, is this wide receiver class right now. It's like this is an advanced group of of super kids that you know were born in 1998 or whatever, who uh, who played in these like different school camps and seven on seven things for you know 15 years or whatever entering the NFL and I mean they've been all all of them really awesome too. Uh, so for Watson this game right now he was nine, 19 for 27 for 264 yards, 9.8 yards in attempt, two touchdowns to one interception, was sacked five times and lost 33 yards in those sacks. Uh, like, do you think Watson had a good game, or do you think he had a bad game? What would you, what would, what would be his PFF rating for this game? <laughs> oh man. Um, so let's just—I want to talk about the interception because I think it's super important. And I think mm-hmm. one thing when he made that throw, what he was counting on was Kenny Stills coming back from the ball, and Stills did not. Stills was lazy getting to the ball. It was really disappointing play by Stills. Mike Hilton beat him to the ball. That was the pick. So. You know, even that pass by itself, I don't think was Watson's fault. Um, and I'll die on that hill, absolutely. Because if you watch the play, you see Hilton, man, he breaks. Stills mm-hmm. is real lazy. Um, so uh, 
he had a good game. I'm going to go back to the fact that how many pass attempts did he have in that game? 27? Mm-hmm. Nine in the second half? How do you expect your quarterback in a game like this to get into rhythm when you're using him like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know, so there's a question from the Party Dinosaur, so at Party Dinosaur 10. And I really hope that's not like some racist term to be a, a party dinosaur. But uh, <laughs> he or she asks, why is it allowed to criticize the shot when he plays bad? And I don't think I don't think Watson played bad at all. I mean, like even that interception, though, that interception came on third and 15. The ball's at the 43-yard line. You know what that leads to? That's a 60-yard field goal attempt. You know you can't make a field goal over 50 yards. Kind of be fair, Baron. And Bill O'Brien's not going to go for it, even if you get seven yards in that situation. They're going to punt the ball. So it just turned into a short punt, pretty much. And that that interception that happened like wasn't necessarily um, like really crucial or killer at all. That's not what killed the drive. What killed the drive was the first and 10 handoff to Brandon Cooks that oh, lost five God. yards because DJ Watts sitting there, you know, seeing the motion and not and not biting on being unblocked. Um, but yeah, I don't think Watson, I think Watson had a very good game. They didn't lose because of him. And, uh, and again, like that first half, that's what you, that's what he can do whenever he has time to throw the football, whenever the, whenever they're not blowing ET stunts over and over again, whenever he has a chance to, to sit there and actually make some plays happen. Um, another really good stat about Watson for this game on throws from 10 to 20 yards downfield, he was 10 for 13 for 202 yards and two touchdowns. So although he wasn't hitting on those like 20 plus yard downfield throws, he was hitting really well from 10 to 20 yards consistently. Um, that, that, you know, corner route to, uh, Cobb that you mentioned is a good example of that. That deep crossing route to Cooks is a good example of that too. Um, like all like from that from that section of the field though, he was money and and like those throws against Pittsburgh that are 20 plus yards downfield, just straight go routes, are really difficult and pretty much impossible to catch on them in that cover three defense that they have. But again, it's like those routes open up everything between 10 through the 20 yards. And when Houston's attacking Pittsburgh like that, they're very good at it. But again, the problem was that in the second half, they didn't consistently do that and derail this, uh, their chances to win and only score 21 points, you know. That, that end around to Cooks, I don't think I've ever seen a, an end around get blown up like that. Like in the 40-whatever years I've watched football, that was just, just utterly done. I mean, Watt was up the field and blew him up. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I've only seen Jadavion shut that play down, but I've seen him yeah. get close to missing it or missing it more times than I've seen him blow it up. But yeah, like it takes a, and that's like him just like dive bobbing, you know, or whenever right. they leave him unblocked and he reads it and attacks. And yeah, it's a very difficult play to make. And that was a great play by TJ on there, but that's why that drive faltered. The interception wasn't the problem with the drive. The interception was that. And what's funny too is they did that same quote during the broadcast. That was like Bill Bryan saying, well, we need to get David Johnson the ball, but not in like a really cute gimmicky way. We just need to give him touches really simply. It's like, oh, and then what do you do? You give Brandon Cooks this really gimmicky, cute way to give him the ball on first and 10, and uh, and you just run smacking at TJ Watt. Yeah, and let's talk about one more thing. When you watch our offense play, I mean, as far well, we're going to talk about a lot more things, but when you watch our offense and, and the runs that David Johnson gets, and this goes back to Lamar Miller, it goes back to Carlos Hyde, it's the same damn play. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost always it's the same damn read, and it's boring. And every team is sitting on it. Every team's going to make sure that Deshaun Watson stays in the pocket. You said it earlier. Teams want us to run the ball. They don't want us to pass the ball. They want the ball out of Deshaun Watson's hand. And so teams are just sitting on it at this point in time because we haven't done Jack differently in years. Okay, sure. We might, like, fake a screen. We might do a, an, an outside zone, like, once a game. But no, 
No, mm-hmm. it's the same dadgum play. Teams sit on it. Yeah. Well, the, and what's a repass option? And you're not the. They're forcing them to make the read decision on there. They're sitting on the pass and they're not chasing down. And the Texans don't have the run blocking to make them pay. So like they do have the numbers advantage, and they're able to set that out and like give the ball to Johnson like an opportunistic situation by having that backside defender unblocked. But the run blocking has been so bad that it doesn't matter at all. So yeah, they're just force feeding. You know, Johnson into a net just so they go strangle himself over and over again. Like David Johnson running reminds me of like one of those turtles from the 1990s with a six pack around its neck and it's like growing around it, you know? That's like he's just getting strangled just running into these awful boxes and without any separation or chance to break any tackles because of how bad um, the run blocking has been, too. So in the second half, the Texans had 17 plays, they picked up 67 yards, they had three punts interception. Again, the interception came on third and 15 at the Steelers 43 yard line. Um, and again, like that play isn't what, what hurt Houston. It's not like it, it ruined a field goal chance for him in that situation. And so I know we've alluded a lot to David Johnson and the running attack in the, in the second half. Um, so aside from having established the run, like what other issues before diving into that, what other issues did the Texans have on offense in the second half? I, I think Watt was playing better. They were creating a lot more pressure. I mean, just very simple things that they were, they were more, the Steelers, I'm sorry, were more disruptive uh, blitzing in the second half. We were bunching up guys again instead of spreading out like we did at the end of the first half. It was just, we went back to the Bill O'Brien mm-hmm. trash play calling. Yeah, that makes sense. And well, and so I, I know Watson was, he took two sacks in that second half. One came on third and four where he lost eight yards and Stefan to it. Used oh the inside move and just like Zach Fulton did this and lunged <laughs> and punched the air and uh, and you know just completely like was he took such a deep drop set which doesn't make any sense at the guard position because like all about your pass protection on the interior of the line of scrimmage is there's no space at all involved you can't give up space and he gave up space and lunged and dived at him and gave up that sack on the interior and then there was a TJ Watt sack and again like that sack was because of the chip like he chips him inside of him. And gives TJ that open path to lead to that sack too. Um, and then that sack came on first and ten. They lost eleven yards. Now you're facing your know, second and twenty-one. Then Jordan Aikens ball starts, and then you have a third and twenty-six there. And they did the slot corner bits blitz, and Watson escaped and was able to get eight yards out of it or whatever. Uh, but yeah, like I think it was the negative plays is what killed them in the second half, along with establishing the run. And those negative plays are also a direct result of going to entire formations where there's more guys from the box and a greater possibility to blitz you know if you're spread out you can't really send guys or if you do send them you're telegraphing what you're doing there that you're saying hey we're playing man coverage because we're sitting six and we're all right here stacked up because everybody else is in other spots of the field too but yeah it was just i mean negative plays and this this need to establish around the second half this like i this unquenchable thirst that they have to do so um really killed them that's why they scored you know zero points to deshaun watson entire half of football and the, the brandon cooks end around that was shut yeah. down so many negative plays in that second half. It was just, mm. it was th- that to it sack though. I called that before the game started. Cause I, I figured he was going to eat somebody's lunch at some point. Cause to it's been fantastic this year to start the year. He's been super disruptive. Yeah. I mean like Hayward's been like numerically and I don't know what, if you know, how pro football f- references get their advanced stats. I think Foxcom is doing them all using, you know, uh, using, you know, factory labor over there or whatever. Out in China, but they uh, they had Hayward as most productive one. He just wins by bull rushing and working hard. But yeah, like two, it's more of like he's wry and slippery. You know, he's a lot. He's not. He's a lot sneakier on the interior, and 
yeah, he really got fooled to me. Yeah, so like you have a, a sack loses eight yards, a sack loses eleven yards, and that Cooks carry that sets up second and fifteen that ruins that drive. That's three drive. They only had three drives with those three, and then they had the intercept. So that was all three of their drives right there, and that's why they scored zero points in that second half. And the defense wasn't able to get them off the field at all too. So for this weekend establishing the run, David Johnson had thirteen carries for twenty three yards and one touchdown. This comes out to one point eight yards a carry. Uh, now this box line from David Johnson and CJ Prosize have one carry. I think Watson was credited one carry. There wasn't anybody else getting any touches at all with Duke Johnson injured still. Um, is this box line, this box score from David Johnson, is this indicative of his talent or is this just a bad situation he's having to run in because of the blocking in front of him and the down distance and the situation the Texans are using him in? I just want to go real quickly because everybody was, Oh my God, David Johnson. He's like better than advertised. So, Against KC, seven yards per attempt. Against Baltimore, 3.1. Against Pittsburgh, 1.8. So, like, we're he's already below four yards a carry after starting out with 11 carries for 77 yards. I mean, that's how far he's regressed. He hasn't looked like the same guy from the first game. He's not making the cuts like he did the first game. Uh, that's not entirely his fault. And so, is this indicative of David Johnson? Yes, but... It's indicative that we were taking another guy who who is better suited to work on the outside, better suited in the passing game. Just like, God, who was that guy that we gave millions of dollars to from my, oh, Lamar Miller. So Bill O'Brien is basically Lamar Millering David Johnson. I like that. Carlos, Carlos Hyde was a better fit for this scheme, and he would have been cheaper, and we could have had DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, well, what's funny about that, it's like, so I looked at the numbers for Lamar Miller like earlier this year. And so in, I have my notepad out right now. So in Miami, he averaged 5.03 yards to carry, had 22 touchdowns, 426 DYAR. In Houston, he had 4.5 yards to carry, or 4.5 yards to carry, and then he had 187 DYAR, despite having, you know, um, 100 more carries or whatever in Houston than Miami. And yeah, they have him gain weight and they turn him to a player that isn't. And the thing with like David Johnson, like he's he's better than he was in Arizona last year and looks noticeably like quicker and more explosive than he looked last year. And uh, but again, like him running the ball behind guys who can't move the line of scrimmage, who are constantly high, who can't get their head in the right spot on the second level, who can't touch the second level. And this is everybody. Laramie Tunsil's been bad in the run game. Every single player on the front five has been bad um, run blocking. And so it's like. I, you know, David Johnson's not the issue with the rushing attack. The problem with the rushing attack is the run blocking and this like constant need to you know, keep force feeding him when on first down and second and six in those sort of situations too. But yeah, like it's uh, if the run blocking is better, like Johnson more opportunities to have one versus one matchups break tackles, it would be a lot better of a situation. But it's like that for any running back. The problem with Johnson though is that he's not the type of back at his at this age and stage of his career to like transcend bad blocking. He's not Chris Carson. He's not Josh Jacobs. He's not going to leave the league in broken tackles. He's not going to break a 10 tackles on his own. And so you have to create everything you can from him. And that's not worth, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and a second round pick and a, and a $14 million cap hit. So it's more no. like the context of Johnson more than his play this year. That's the problem with the run game, you know? Yeah. And it goes back to what I was saying when, after we made the trade. There are 50 guys who can do what David Johnson's going to do for the Texans. Yeah. We're taking every way that everything that makes him special, Bill O'Brien is stripping away from him. Mm-hmm. 
and you know maybe if Duke Johnson's out there, maybe things are a little bit better. But and uh, and Duke's better than David is the same stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it, what a just absolute freaking waste of talent. And I, again, I'm not high on David Johnson. I think he's already done as a football player. He's looked better as a Texan than he did as a Cardinal last year, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you have to put your players in a position to succeed. And Bill O'Brien, once again, is failing at that miserably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and like I came this year, like already hating David Johnson, you know? Right. And like I joked around about that, like in our you know, fancy football draft and stuff. And, uh, and like after the Kansas City game and even – you know, like that route he had against Baltimore and that slugger around and stuff. It's like, you know, David Johnson's a fine player. You know, he's not, he's like, he's not the type of running back who can carry an entire, it's all good. Uh, he's not the type of running back who can carry entire offense on his own though. And the Texans are already asking him to do that. Kind of like what you mentioned, Lamar Miller, where Lamar Miller goes from, you know, 170 carries a season to 265 immediately in Houston, loses all of his power and burst and explosion. And what made Lamar Miller, Lamar Miller, you know? Right. Sorry. Fixing some wiring issues underneath my desk. Uh, yeah, no, it's not, you can't, I don't even have an analogy for this at this point in time. I mean, it's it's, it's round peg, square hole kind of stuff with David mm-hmm. Johnson. I just, Carlos Hyde, like Carlos Hyde would, at, it was at least marginally successful at this role. And yeah, I just, I, I, I give up. I'm just, I, what else can you say? Bill O'Brien does not have a clue how to run an offense. He does not have a clue what to do with his players. He's just, I have never been so, infuriated with the head coach in my entire life this goes back this is the only other time that comes close god i can't remember the coach's name but it was uh 89 90 the ut uh longhorn coach was i think those mcwilliams era we had eric metcalf as a running back short guy small guy quick fast mm-hmm. and we would literally sit up in the stands chanting short side sweep short side sweep and there would be the short side sweep and eric metcalf would run out of room to run <laughs> and it was just like, like the entire stands are chanting short side sweep. And that's what was being called. It was like yeah. just such an obvious waste of talent. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know who that is or anything at all, but I I understand what you're saying for this for this case. And this game, too, it was, just, it was especially like frustrating. Well, the thing about this game that was especially stupid is you can't run the ball against Pittsburgh. They had 22 tackles for a loss entering this game and you can't run against them in that like vertical combo drive blocking sort of way that they've been running. Like you can't run inside zone. You can't run duo. You can't run power. You can't run counter. You can't run dart. Those sort of plays don't work against this front. They're too strong. They're too fast. Um, you can't, and, and also you, you're taking an offensive line that can't even make those blocks that will begin with. And you're going up this complete, you know, buzz of a defensive front. The only way Denver had any success at all in them running the football was by running outside zone and then Melvin Gordon hitting cutback lanes on them because they're a very aggressive defense that flows really, really, uh, really quickly to the ball. And that was how they had, you know, some big runs like 10 yards, 12 yards, 14 yards, 16 yards, 17 yards. Those runs aren't available for David Johnson's game because Houston doesn't know what their rushing attack is aside from run like duo with the repass option with the tight end being dragged up, but, but out, you know, out wide with it. And again, like the Texans don't have the offensive line to block it against Kansas City who has a bad front. And here they are trying to do the same thing against the best front in football. And uh, the results were disastrous and exactly what you would expect, you know? Well, yeah. They were talking about, uh, I've got the Sunday night game in back of me going on. They were talking about how 
the uh, Packers are so focused that they wanted every play to look the same, but with different results on the back end. So if it looks like it's going to be uh, from every formation, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the uh, Rams head coach McVay. Like every every set looks the same, and you make sure that you run plays on the same set, but they are they have different outcomes. The Texans, when they set up like they do, you know exactly what they're going to be running. Yeah, and that's the problem. David Johnson's outside; he's going to be the number one receiver, mm-hmm. right? You line up in that base set that we run. Well, it's going to be David Johnson up the middle because we're going to make sure the ends keep Watson in. We don't it's, do anything. It's, it's Darren Fells as a flex wing tight end. You're like, oh, I know this play. Oh, yeah. now now they're making it different by sending two tight ends down the flat. You know, yeah, you, we know what the play is by now. So there's there's no imagination. There's no deception. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you know, it's not like the Green Bay Packers, since I'm referring to the Packers already of the old days of like the '60s, where they're saying we're going to run these five freaking plays like 500 times in a row to make sure we get it right we're going to be the best we're going to execute it it's not like we do that we don't even do that well yeah and that's one of the big problems the rushing attack too and it goes back to last year it's like they have the right side that's more built for power plays even though they don't have good pad level and are kind of you know they're kind of weenies when it comes to actually making their blocks in any sort of physical manner the left side seems better suit for outside zone plays and so they can't run anything you know unified at all for their rushing attack so the other thing that happened in this game was that Mark, Max Sharping was benched once again, and he was benched for Sunil Calamente. What What is going on with there? Why do they keep doing this? Is it just because Sharping's playing poorly and Calamente's a better player at this point? And if so, like, what are the issues with Sharping right now? Uh, communication. I don't think he's picking things up. And I think you've, you've spoken to it on multiple occasions, is that we, we had the expectation that you know Sharping came out as a right tackle. And that if you're gonna if you're gonna go inside, you're gonna have to bulk up. You're gonna have to get stronger. And he has not done that. And so he's mm-hmm. just kind of become a speed bump on the way to the quarterback. So between the not picking up the uh, not picking up stunts, not picking up blitzes, getting to the wrong man, he's just been run over when he's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird because like I mean, it was really obvious last year that he needed to get stronger. You know, he had trouble driving guys out of the hole. He had trouble making any sort of impact in every pulled. And like he was good at pass protecting because he has that base to mirror. But he wasn't a guy who can come out and just play offensive tackle off college because his technique was all screwed up. And that's why they moved him to guard immediately. And then at guard, he had to get stronger. I think Nick Martin stole the weights from the weight room. And that's why he didn't get stronger at all this offseason, you know. But yeah, I don't understand like the Kelamente thing. It's just like if you're going to play him, just bench him. And then make it that, you know, this constant like reswitching throughout the game is unbelievably stupid. And that was one of the things that we were kind of hoping for this year at the offensive line that they knew who their five guys were. They they would develop continuity, they get better as the year got on, and they play more together. And they've already completely gotten rid of that by this constant, you know, flip flopping they've been doing with Calamente and Sharping. It's not like Calamente's a great player at all. Like he's a guy that you only want somebody else is hurt. You don't want him starting a guard consistently either. Yeah. How many years have we talked about the need? For consistent online play for these online play for these guys to work together to communicate mm-hmm. together, I mean, how many years have we been doing the show? That's one of the first things I learned about the footballs was that man, you need your offensive line needs to work together and communicate. And the longer they are together, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and they've lost that, and also like they haven't even played well even with that idea of continuity to come in the season two, which was something that. You know, it was expected for them to be better, even though they had their issues last year. And the same issues they had last year with blitz pickups and stuff have come back into this season. The same issues in the run game were there throughout last year as well, too. 
Um, and then, you know, we're still seeing the same sort of stuff again. And it really just seems like coaching. And again, this is an offensive line. They put three first round picks, three second round picks and $34 million of cap space into this year. And these are the same results that they're getting where Watson, like you mentioned, has been hit 33 times. I think he's been sacked 16 times now. And uh, he's like the 32nd most pressure quarterback in the league right now, too. And uh, I like you know 35 that, again, pro football references advanced stats from China, say. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been a complete, you know, like it's been a complete script situation because whenever you invest that much in the offensive line, you're expecting to be like, you know, the 2014 Dallas Cowboys. And they're not even close to that. They're still one of the worst offensive lines in the league, even after that investment to the position. It was funny because my son uh, watched the game with me today. Well, we watched it together would be a better mm-hmm. way to say it. And he was asking about the offensive line because he was picking up. I mean, he he doesn't watch a ton of football, but he gets like the core basics of it. And so he kept asking, why are we so bad on the offensive line? I said, well, oh, you know, haven't we invested in it? What I think was the question. And I was like, well, let me tell you what we've invested in. And he was looking at me like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and they play like that. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's just like, again, this is, you know, he watches, we watch five ten games together a year so it's not a ton but he's he picks up on it pretty well and he was just he was blown away he was like we gave up what we gave up what Mm -hmm. it's frustrating yeah it it really is unbelievable and i think also too we're gonna start talking about the defense now is that like you they they put their resource is they put their resources into the offense this offseason the only player that they added really in free agency to their defense is eric murray and then they made some draft picks and they've gotten zero out of other drafts so far this year too. And now you're having an offense that is just as good as it was last year. And uh, you put this much investment into it and you're still barely scoring 21 points a game, you know? And that's the real issue with this team. That's why we spent so much time talking about the offense. We're like, if they get any sort of consistent production from the defense with the players that they have, like that's a big win. And I think for this game, you know, defensively, they gave up, they forced four three and outs. They gave up six long scoring drives. Um, and it really felt like Pittsburgh beat them with their quick passing game and then eventually wore them out with how many drives they had with their power run game in the second half. Like, would you consider, did you, did you think Houston's defense actually played well this game? As far as what my expectations were, yes, I thought they mm-hmm. played pretty well. I thought, you know, even when they started getting gashed in the fourth, fourth quarter, I expect that, you know, Zach Cunningham, I don't know, you know, he signed that big contract. He's been trashed this year. Yeah, just really tackling. I mean, he's always kind of tackled like that, but it's been even worse, you know, than it was last year. Yeah, McKinney had like 11 or 12 yeah, he was awesome today. today. So mm-hmm. it was all about him today. But yeah, it's my expectations on the defense were low. I think Weaver's scheme has been nice. I think he's been, he, he's, he's schemed above his head. He's schemed above his pay grade. But we don't have any talent because we have spent so much time focusing to make Bill O'Brien's offense look good, to make Bill O'Brien look good, that we've just totally given up on the defense. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have to pay Eric Murray what we did, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, too. It's, you know, this defense has had a severe brain drain. You know, they've lost Kareem Jackson. They've lost Dave Young Clowney. They lost Boy, if you want to go back to 2016. And their house is older. Joseph. Yeah, and they lost Jonathan Joseph. Uh, J.J. Watt's not the same guy anymore. Whitney Merciless isn't good anymore. Um, and so you're just really kind of looking at like McKinney and Zach Cunningham and Justin Reed. And those are your only plus player. Well, you would still say Watt's a plus player, but that's it. Like You have four guys who you consider as, as maybe being plus players who you can still kind of scheme around and get and get around from that. But yeah, I think Weaver has done a really great job so far this year. 
I think Pittsburgh for this game, what they did well is they picked up their blitzes really well on third down. They're able to attack their man coverage on third down situations too. And uh, like last season, like their short pass defense is really bad once again. And the Steelers had five receivers with between three and five catches uh, this week. Their longest throw was for 26 yards to Smith-Schuster. Clay pulled up that catch for 24 yards. But everything was really between like zero and 10 yards throughout this game. And you're kind of seeing the same problems last year with the secondary. Um, there, again, one, there again this year, too, with just so many issues having to cover those short passes. And that's how Pittsburgh's been winning this year. They're not drunk and throwing the ball deep downfield like they have been you know, in 2017 or whatever. No, I think my favorite, I think the ultimate Texas play was that touchdown to, uh, to Juju where he yeah. was wide open, but Claypool <laughs> was also wide open. I mean, there's like, you had two guys literally going to, to the flags who were wide open, who nobody close to them on mm-hmm. one play. That was the Texans defense for me today. That secondary is aside from Justin Reed is really hot trash. Yeah, and I think they've done a good job playing zone coverage, like playing cover four and stuff. And they're they're playing good deep pass defense again this year. Um, and they've been pretty good not giving up really open assignments. But it looked like mail on that play, but the guys helping just broke on the ram, wrong route. So you end up doubling somebody because you're doing some sort of man match thing, and then you leave this other guy open. And I think that's what happened that, on that Schuster call. I think it was on Lonnie Johnson Jr. Lonnie too, Johnson. as yep. he's trying to learn how to play a new position while playing the other positions all at the same time too. Um, Vernon Hargreaves had six tackles today and, uh, and he was picked on but multiple times. So a question from at Matson in the cradle. He asked, pick your weakest link in the secondary. And also why is it Vernon Hargreaves? Yeah, I, I love that question because if your defensive back is making that many tackles, he's really doing something. Yeah. Wrong. There's a direct correlation to this. And, and the answer is not Vernon Hargreaves. It's not bubbles. There's a picture in the 20s named Bubbles Hargraves. Anyway, um, the, the answer is Lonnie Johnson. He's really freaking terrible. He, he does not know what he's doing out there. He can tackle occasionally when he's in the right spot. I just find him to be an absolutely atrocious football player. And look at the draft capital we put in that dude. So, yeah. you know, it's one thing. Hargraves is, is struggling. He's had a hard time. Yes. He also made a couple of good plays this game, I got to admit. Um but to me, is anytime Lonnie Johnson's on the field, he is a threat to give up 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Hargraves made three plays. Uh, they picked him a lot this game. But I know what you mean with Lonnie Johnson Jr. And I was going to ask you, like, how do you like watching him play safety so far this year? Because they have him playing deep middle sometimes, you know? And they kind of sits down Robber, and he just kind of stands in the middle of the field and, and I don't know, tries to do stuff, you know? Yeah, he, he's, he's nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a great personality. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, and whenever they drafted him too, like he was obvious, he wasn't good in Kentucky. Like he was yeah. obvious, like a, like a skill, like athletic, you know, prototype pick, you know, like a long, tall cornerback, but he couldn't press. He couldn't tackle well. He couldn't cover well. He couldn't play man. He couldn't do any of these things. And so I like, I didn't expect anything from him until year three. And you know, they gave him a lot, they've given him a lot of playing time so far and he hasn't done much of anything yet. Um, either. So there's other, some, some other weird things that Weaver's been doing on defense. Like I do like Weaver's defense. I think he's done a very good job so far, but so we have Lonnie Johnson Jr. playing single high at safety. We have Jacob Martin lining up a defensive tackle. We have Eric Murray <laughs> playing a lot of single high too. We have AJ Moore playing a lot of th- third safety also. Like I do kind of like, I know he's trying a lot of different things, but do you think he's getting like a little too crazy where it's kind of hurting the team in some of these ways too? No, because I think he's throwing whatever he can at the wall to see what sticks. And I, I don't blame him for it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you look at that secondary, especially with Conley out, 
and it is really terrible. And then the big signing was Eric Murray, and yikes. Um, okay, so putting Jacob Martin as a three tech, not a good idea. So let's not never do that again. They did a lot in this game. They did it a, a lot. lot. I think it was just because they were trying to get Y against that right tackle, and so they're like, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's either me, Jacob Martin, or Carlos Watkins, and I guess we'll go Jacob Martin this time. Yeah. Now there, some of the matchups are are kind of odd, but I don't I don't blame Weaver. I don't blame him for just trying to do different things because I mean, look, maybe you get lucky. You you stick the the small short guy in the middle. Maybe he can he can do something, get past the guard, and get to the quarterback early. You know, he's trying and. Until J.J. Watt goes back into the inside on a consistent basis, these are the kind of games you have to play out because Merciless is only going to be effective on the outside. Martin's only going to be effective on the outside. Watt doesn't want to play inside. Mm-hmm. So you have to do some giving in there. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, Merciless had one pass rush or he almost created pressure, but the ball was out too quick. And like, it's hard to get to Roethlisberger. He's been, he really hasn't held on to the ball that long. And again, like they're running it a quick short passing offense. And I know you mentioned like breezes average and 10 air yards. I think Rollinsberger is at like 6.4, which is like Jimmy Garoppolo territory. And you're expecting him usually to be like eight or nine, you know, and they're right. running more of a different offense this year too. Um, in the second half, the Steelers were able to run the ball very well. This entire game, they ran the ball 38 times or 169 yards. Uh, why is Houston struggle to stop the run? Cause this happened to them against Kansas city. It happened to them against Baltimore too. It happens to them again, again, again in this game. Uh, what's been the main reason why Houston's been such a bad run-stopping team this year? Cunningham, his angles are terrible. Uh, no DJ Reader. The only guy, the only, I mean, look at look at the guys who we lost over the past three years from the secondary: Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph. Um, I'm missing one. We've lost a lot of the great run support we had from the secondary. So. We, we don't tackle as well from that position. And so I think that's also hurting us. So you, when once guys get to the second level, we've got nobody to do anything. Roby can't tackle that well. Reed can. Um, Murray can't. Johnson misses tackles like it's a, you know in style. We have no backup anymore in the secondary mm-hmm. like we used to. Kareem Jackson coming down did a lot of damage. Joseph could tackle. Mm-hmm. We missed that. Yeah. Well, and, and so like this game, what Pittsburgh did was they ran that like that guard power where they left the edge unblocked. Oh, God. And, uh, and like, Lider's good. Yeah, Lider's good making that block where he just gets his head on the outside. Again, like, head placement is really important. and just turns him back inside, whether it's Jacob Martin, Whitney Merciless, or whoever. And they were able to run that power run play really well against Houston. They had success with against Denver as well. Like, I don't think Lider's very good, but for whatever reason, he really understands that block, and having David DeCastro helped them out a lot, too. I also think just like the defense got really tired. You know, Houston, again, their offense ran 17 plays in the second half, and Pittsburgh controlled the clock for the majority of it. And so I think they just got exhausted, but really, like, I think it comes down to two things. One, they're not tackling very well, and then two, they're they're not doing very well against double teams, you know? Like, they're doing that thing where whenever they get double teamed, they're just crumpling to the ground, and then it's allowing the their you know the guard and the tackle to get to the second level pretty quickly too, which makes things harder for Cunningham where he's not able to just run freely and make make tackles like that unblocked. And uh, and McKinney had a really great game you know this time too around. But I think it's just kind of them getting tired and that Pittsburgh is able to find that same ramp, run play that worked very well to open up Connor a bunch of times too. Yeah, and Clowney's the other one. So we've taken mm-hmm. three really important pieces or four I'm sorry really important pieces. 
you remember those heady days of 2018 when when we played nobody who had a real quarterback and we had this like literally oh, historic run defense <laughs> yeah defense yeah so gone from that is is Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Clowney, um, DJ Reader. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. taken out the pieces, and now we've got you know Watkins and and Omenye you know, him. yeah, and Jacob Martin, you know, yeah. yeah, all those guys, yeah, and they also aren't playing Case Keenum and Alex Smith anymore, and uh, that whole sort of bad bad batch of quarterbacks they got in 2018 too. And um, then the other thing about the run defense is like you mentioned that 18 team. They were really great at creating negative plays. You know what I mean? Like Jadavion Kareem and DJ Reader and Watt were awesome at creating negative plays by the line of scrimmage to force teams in long third downs. So that's why that defense had success. But they're not creating the same amount of negative plays all this year. And they didn't even go back to last year, too. And a big reason for that is not having Kareem Jackson and Jadavion Clowney on this defense anymore. And I mean, there's just been a huge drain of talent um, from the front seven and the defense in general these past three years. Just imagine, I mean, just visualize the brain drain, the, the the position drain we've had from the defense since 2018, two years ago, two mm-hmm. seasons ago. So we can invest it all in the offense that is scoring 19 points a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they, even then, like the players they kept are older and worse now, too. Um, and that kind of brings me to J.J. Watt. This game, he had four tackles. One was a solo tackle. He didn't really provide any pressure at all. He was rushing against Pittsburgh's right tackle. who played really well this game, but that's still their backup tackle. Um, their starting right tackle this year got hurt in week one, and Watt didn't really have any sort of meaningful production at all as a pass rusher. I don't think he played that well against Baltimore either. I think his two sacks were really kind of like, you know, uh, Orlando Brown just kind of lost him on that first one. Yeah. The second was like a cleanup sack. He really hasn't been like J.J. Watt all this year. I know they used him as a, known snack, as a nose tackle against Kansas City, and he was able to swim real quick and get that running back out wide. But he just doesn't even look like he looked last year at all, too. And so I don't know. Like, I, I have some concerns that you know, maybe he's finally hit that wall um, finally after all the injuries and, and uh, his age as well, too. But like, is there anything Weaver can do to get more out of him? Or they just can kind of be like, well, getting you on the interior deal with a lot more hits, and now we're just going to give you a right tackle. And so this week it was, I don't want to butcher the guy's name, but it's Pittsburgh's right tackle. Next week, I guess that's going to mean, you know, not Ricky Wagner, but Riley Reef, I guess. Uh, he'll probably get some reps against him next week. And so, like, is that is that going to be it? Just Watt playing against defensive ends and hope, or playing against right tackles and hoping he creates enough pass rush to be able to force feed for the rest of the guys on the team? Yeah, pretty much. That's all we're counting on because you're not going to get one-on-one wins from Merciless. He did have one. Merciless did have one today. Against, yeah, against uh, Villanueva. Yeah. Uh, but the ball was out like that. It was out like half a second. It didn't matter. Yeah, but it was one. That was the first yeah. time I've seen him do anything like that this year. <laughs> um, no, I mean, what, he, he's not done, but he's just not the same guy. I mean, right now at this point of his career, he's like uh, uh, Phil. He's Phil Hansen. At this stage of his career, he's a guy who can do a little disruption, who can who can create a little havoc. He'd be a lot better inside, but we, you know, he doesn't want to play inside anymore. So mm-hmm. there you go. I mean, I would only play him on passing downs. I wouldn't even keep him on the field in the run game at all. And he's not really playing the run game that hard either. When you watch the film, you're like, yeah, you're not even chasing back to the ball. You're not doing anything on this, you know. And uh, and so I don't know why they're really playing in those situations. But I guess it's because like. Well, if they don't play them, then you have Carlos Watkins, Omanyehu, and PJ Hall, PJ Hall out there. And so I don't know. I guess it's a little bit better than that, but they really aren't getting very much out of him in the run game to begin with. So I don't know. I have concerns about Watt. He hasn't looked like Watt so far this year. And usually whenever we kind of feel this way, he'll have an enormous game. Like you know, the, 
you know, the following week, and you're like, okay, he's back to being himself. But so far this year, he hasn't been very good, though. And uh, Houston's kind of defense is banking on Watt being J.J. Watt, and that way, if, if he was like that, they should at least be able to have an average pass defense, and that hasn't happened so far this year either. Yeah, when when guys like P.J. Hall and and Brandon Dunn are jumping more than Watt against the run, that's telling you something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Hall's been fine, but it's like it's as fine as you can be from like a a late you know late summer pickup, you know. But right. it doesn't really mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. So aside from John, a half of John Reed who played because I think Lyon Johnson Jr. got suspended for that first half against Kansas City for tweeting before the game or whatever it was. Uh, that's the all. That's really all they've gotten out of the rookie class so far this year. So is this a case of just not having a first round pick and having a bad rookie class by taking you know Blacklock, Greenard? Um, Reed and Heck, or is this just a case of TSD, you know, or they're they're not tough enough, they're not smart enough, they're not dependable enough yet? Um, I just don't, I don't have nice things to say about this draft class. I just don't. So Blacklock, if we put him in a one-gap scheme, is going to be successful. I think Greener's not playing for reasons because he's not very good. I think we're going to see a lot more from Reed, and I think if he would have gotten the practice time, he'd be in a lot better shape. Um, I think it was poor drafting. Mm-hmm. Yes, as Smooth Grandma asks, who, who kidnapped Russ Blacklock and Greenard? And you know, Blacklock against the run, like he's he had been really crumpled by double teams. Like he just wasn't strong enough to deal with deal with them whenever he's been out on the field. And like not having any push from him and not having any sort of interior pressures also really hurt this defense. I mean, I, I like Greenard as like being an outside linebacker, like Brent Scarlett which is a fine pick, you know, if you can get um, somebody who can play competently in the third round. But he was never going to be a guy to be like, oh, who is this incredible pass rusher that we got in the third round here? He seemed like an ultimate TSD player. But I think Houston's just like, yeah, we already have Merciless and we have Scarlet, and they're better doing the same things that we could get out greener, you know. But it still is weird to have him, like, play zero snaps and not see him out there at all in any fashion, even though he's healthy, you know. It's, it's an incredible—I mean, there are rookies making impact in the NFL today, yeah. Jefferson for the Vikings would be a great example of that. Um, so it's possible. I just think that. Yeah, it's not a COVID issue. Picks. Yeah, I mean, it's not a COVID issue. I think it's also just kind of like how Houston is, too, where they don't give their young guys as much right. playing time and and right. uh, and how they're this whatever this culture is that they have here, too. So we talked about this before back in 2018, but since 1990, 146 teams have started the season 0 and 3. Four of them made the playoffs. It was Houston 2018, they went 11 and 5. Buffalo 98 went 10 and 6. Detroit 95 went 10 and 6. San Diego 92 went 11 and 5. They lost the divisional round. Those other three teams who were first round playoff uh, exits. And the thing about it is like bad teams go 0 and 3. It's not really that it's like it's impossible to go from 0 and 3 to the postseason. It's just that usually only really bad teams start the season 0 and 3. And Houston's one of those teams um, right now. It's like. At the moment, they're playing Gary Kubiak next week in his revenge game. Then they get Jacksonville and then Tennessee. Do you think there's any chance Houston pulls off the improbable again and makes the playoffs as the number seven seed after starting 0-3? Absolutely. Because we, we have a tendency to beat teams who are equal or below us. And mm-hmm. when I mean equal, I mean like seven and nine kind of equal teams. So I absolutely believe it's it's possible, and I'm just going to transition real quickly to the Vikings because I, I want to give credit to you. I think you're the one who said it. We're going to play a team that's looking to establish the run next week. It's Gary Kubiak. It's going to be the play action, get the run going. It's going to be a big test for the defense to see if they can actually stop the run. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, but like, it's kind of funny with them too, because those first two games Minnesota play, you're like, they need to run the ball more, you know? And, uh, and they're kind of one of those teams that has to with Kirk Cousins at quarterback where Cousins isn't going to create the entire offense on his own. Like he's, he's Matt Schaub, you know, in that sense where he's throwing bootlegs, you have to open things up for him and create easy throws. And they're able to do that a little bit today. But uh, yeah, like this is a team that actually should establish the run and run the ball as much as possible, open up their offense. It's not like how Houston is and all there too. I mean, I, I, I'm not, three again isn't a big surprise to me, but yeah, they have to win next week and they have to win the week after that. And then, you know, if you're two and three playing Tennessee, who may be four and one or five and oh at that point, you know, then that's, that becomes kind of a swing game, but they have to win the next two games and I could see that happening. So I wouldn't count them out, count them out at all just yet. Uh, but yeah, like it's a it's a really bad spot to be in, you know. And this seemed like felt like a must win game, especially being up between one seventeen at the half, like they were, and how I guess like kind of competently their defense played today too. Yeah, and I guess that's the most disappointing thing is that the defense actually you know stood up, and that we turtled in the second half offensively. I mean, it's just it, it's so infuriating the way the second half played out that mm-hmm. nine passing attempts. <laughs> it really did kind of feel like they were trying to kill the clock in the second half because they had a four-point lead, you know? Yeah, it's it's like, you know, uh, Bill O'Brien, halfway through the Indy 500, 250th lap, he just pulls in. Winning! <laughs> we did it. Mm-hmm. Or like you go, you're flying the moon and you get like out of the atmosphere and come back. It's like, <laughs> we did it. We got there. We're astronauts. Yeah. Um, so so we had some listener questions for tonight. We had a couple from at Smooth Grandma. And we have a, actually a segment of the show, which is Smooth Grandma's Questions. The first one he had was, should I hope for a win next week or a loss? This is how, how dark it's already getting uh, for the Houston football team. This team's going nowhere under Bill O'Brien. I don't know what else he needs to prove to do to, to show you that. Um, I don't see how there's a, a single person who thinks Bill O'Brien is the person to lead us to the promised land. I mean, you don't play to get in the playoffs. You play to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And... Bill O'Brien proves week after week after week after week that he has no idea what he's doing. So who who the hell is a Bill O'Brien stand at this point? I don't know. I mean, if they win next week, they'll come back out again. Um, is there a scapegoat cut coming this week or like a coaching change or something like that happening this week? Uh, what I think is going to happen this week is Bill O'Brien is going to take over the offensive play calling. You think so? You think we're already yeah, there? I think we're there. Uh, does a screen pass always work against a 10 yard cushion? <laughs> Pittsburgh got some nice plays like that. Just having 10 yards off on third down, just throwing quick smoke passes. I just, I, I pass. <laughs> I just, it, la- that question makes, makes me want to punch things. Yeah. I forgot, I forgot about those plays until he asked the questions. Like, Oh yeah, that happened. Yeah. I remember that. Remember when it was Romeo Cornell's fault, the defense was bad. I made right. mistakes like that. Uh, right. And then he also asked, are we, are we as fans a joke to Bill O'Brien? Absolutely. I, I don't think he respects us at all. I don't think he respects the, the press who covers him at yeah. all. I think that this has become Bill O'Brien, um, you know, old friend of the blog, um, Zion from, uh, God, what's the name of that blog? The Houston Rockets SBM blog. He was one of the um, founding members of it. But, you know, he was basically saying today on Twitter that the the Texas board loves Bill O'Brien because he just comes across as a good old boy. And that's what they care about. And I absolutely 100 percent believe it, that, you know, Bill O'Brien is completely safe as long as he just says the right thing when he goes to the board meetings, because he doesn't really 
he doesn't answer to anybody anymore. So mm-hmm. what does he care? Yeah. Yeah. He definitely is like the archetype of a football coach by the things he says and his actions. And I mean, it's not so his actions, but like the things he says and how he presents himself, you know, you're like, yeah, that guy coaches football and <laughs> he seems like he's good at it, you know, and he's able to, to confuse enough people too. Uh, the next question is from at Matt's in the cradle. And he asks, why are we going backwards into oblivion? And again, like this team was fortunate last year. They got worse this offseason. They went nine through one score games. Deshaun Watson was able to pull off the miraculous enough times. So far this year, the offensive line hasn't even given him the opportunity. And the play calling hasn't even given him the opportunity either to pull off the miraculous. And so that's really what's going on right now. But I think the oblivion portion of it is the fact that they don't have a first or second round pick next year. And now they're going to be paying him in Tunsil, you know, $60 million combined. And they have a lack of defensive talent and you know, like kind of if the offensive line keeps playing this way, I guess you can say you know, they have a lack of offensive talent as well, too. So um, that's why it's going backwards. And like and also it's all the trades they've made by trading your star players and getting less back than you sent out in return. You know, you if you're going to make those trades, you have to get multiple first round picks, that sort of thing to to get uh, your value back and getting David Johnson, Ross Blacklock and Brandon Cooks out of it isn't uh, isn't doing so by giving up somebody like DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I don't. We're we're going backwards more because of the GM aspect of it than the head coaching aspect of it. Um, this is what I would expect. I would expect us to lose games against the Chiefs, the Ravens, and Steelers. Look, that's expectation. I expect us to beat teams like the Jaguars. Now, the problem this year is going to be the BESFs ain't bad, and the Colts now have Philip Rivers, and they ain't bad. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if we can actually beat those teams right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really think so at the moment. But who knows? Whatever those two, it doesn't matter how good those teams are. They still like Bill O'Brien, some sort of like, you know, Gorgonic glaze over them, you know, kryptonite kind of thing. Frank Reich has no idea what to do against Bill O'Brien. Yeah, unless it's the playoffs. Sense. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Frank Reich's kind of crazy man. Uh, next question is from at James K. Mill the third. He asks, "What will it take for McNair to relieve Bill O'Brien's duties, and would he do this mid-season?" No idea and no. Yeah, I I really have no idea what it would take. You know, I again like I know whenever we talked, whenever we did this show after they lost in the postseason and eighteen the Colts, like I was like after that loss and how, how bad it was losing twenty one to seven and like blowing an opportunity with Watson being like a legitimate star um, on the second year of his rookie contract. You're like, yeah, they blew it and this is all they came up with in this big playoff game. Um, after that happened, I was like, yeah, they should fire Bill O'Brien. This is obviously not the guy. And we're here two years later, and like, you know, they've done just enough, but I don't know what it would take to fire him. Like, I don't know if it would have to take missing the playoffs, if it would take seven and nine, if it would take six and 10. I really have no idea, but I, I'm expecting to be here um, as long as forever until, you know, it actually happens, you know? Yeah, just remember, because that was the same year that Jim Fossil, right? Wasn't it 2018? Jim Fossil took the BSFs to the playoffs, and he got fired. And Malarkey, it, no, Mike Malarkey. Oh, uh, Malarkey, Mike, uh, yeah. yeah, not possible, Malarkey. They're the same guy. Yeah, but Malarkey, you know, like, he definitely tried some things there, you know. Like, he actually tried, he tried some things and ran a team that made sense based off the players he had. I think it was more Mariota being bad than anything, though. Well, that's true. And, that's true. Uh, but you yeah. still had massive failure, and you had one GM who did something, and you had one head coach who got promoted to GM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nobody here who, who can push him out at all. There's no dissenting opinion at all in that entire organization. I'm sure they have statues of him in there. Oh, yeah. Um, Old idols everywhere. 
some of the possible like coaches right now. Some guys I like. I like Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy. <laughs> I like um, I like Brian Dable. He's been a, he's been he's my new Greg Roman crush this year. He's just doing what Greg Roman did last year, but just like making a more spread passing attack. I'd be down for. I'm at the point now too where I'm like I'm down for Arthur Smith. I'm down for Jay Gruden. I'm down for you know just about anything. Just anybody can like run an effective offense week to week. Um, instead of just like the same you know, nonsense with Watson where it's like they need to score 30 points a game. They should be able to score 30 points a game and they haven't been able to because the offensive like design and structure. Yeah, no, we got to hit that 19 points a game. That's the magic. That's what we scored in 2016. It sounds like with the, probably an 18. It sounds like 18 too. Yeah. It's for like 19 or whatever it was. Pathetic. 24 is a big number last year. Their first positive DVOA. Zero percent. We're not going to be positive this year. We're not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's adjusted, but I don't know how how much they adjusted for. But like the and like the last thing for tonight's show, like they're playing Minnesota next week. Minnesota can't cover anybody. They have the worst core. They have one of the worst quarterback groups in the league. And like, if if they can't run vertical passes against Minnesota next week, if they can't score thirty one points against the Vikings next week. Just, I mean, if you care about like the Texans winning, I would say just don't watch them the rest of the year. If they're unable to pull off anything, it's Minnesota. But, uh, but next week is like the entire season, and uh, and if they don't have a good offensive output against that team, with how bad their pass rush has been, their inability to cover, uh, it's kind of like pack it up and go home at that point. Pretty much. Um, but you have anything else for night at all? Are you excited for I, Derek Kubiak week? I am totally. I can't wait to watch Dalvin Cook own us. It's it's so beautiful that this is how we've come back full circle. Oh and three, O'Brien coaching for his job, and it's Gary Kubiak's revenge game. And there's a big fun. segment of the fan base that you see on the internet that's like Bill O'Brien's the best coach in franchise history. Gary Kubiak yeah. was bad this and bad that or whatever. It's like okay, all right. You're so, all morons. Anybody who be, says that's a moron, I'm yeah, not even so, gonna hold back. <laughs> this will be a fun week though. Um, so until next time. I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Albert Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. This was fun. Yep. Thanks, man. Woo!